Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we wanna say thanks for questions coming from our audience of Smith Weekly, including Sean M, Joe G, Jackie A, and Brent S. We have a returning guest on the program today. Mr. Mark Chalmers is back with us. Mark is the president and CEO of Energy Fuels, a US-based production and development company focused on conventional uranium, rare earths, and vanadium production centered around the licensed and operational White Mesa Mill in Utah and surrounding projects within the Great Basin region. Energy Fuels is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol UUUU, as well as on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol EFR. Mark, it's been a while. Welcome back. Hey, Andrew. It's great to be back. So, yeah, we've, it's been a while since we've talked last. Likewise, Mark. It's always good to chat with you and always just enjoy our conversations and of course they've gone back many years to the beginnings of this cycle essentially and really appreciate you coming back and you've got a special place here because you were actually i think the first guest of our podcast when we kicked this off many years ago so congratulations on that and congratulations on the progress at energy fuel so far yeah um a lot happening and andrew as you know i mean uh you know we we have our our roots in the uranium business and vanadium business but we've expanded into the rare earths, which is a very exciting uh, place to be. And uh, we're making great progress on all those fronts. Well, Mark, you are no stranger to the program, of course, haven't been on numerous times going back nearly five years now. So why don't we get right to it here and have you just give us your opening thoughts on the status of uranium first. And then also I'd like to have you talk about rare earths briefly and, and how the market's going there and just your views on that. And then of course, uh, if you have a bit of time, the vanadium market as well. Well, you know, it's an exciting time in, in uranium. Certainly uranium prices have been going up. Almost every forecast is is predicting increasing uranium prices. Um, you know, the, the sentiment for nuclear power is going forward in leaps and bounds with people focused on reducing carbon emissions baseload energy, uh, you know, when you, uh, when I was in uh, WNA in London a few weeks ago, um, it certainly was a buzz um, on the future of nuclear. And as I said, all the supply demand graphs um, are showing increases of demands, uh, small module reactors. I mean, there's really a lot to talk about on the uranium front, um, but also, you know, we're seeing, um, uh, you know, political instability uh, obviously, with Russia and the Ukraine conflict, Niger, and so you know, there's a number of moving parts. And and on the uranium sector, it usually doesn't move for just one thing. It usually moves on three or four smaller things that, when you compound them, it becomes a big deal uh, in the uranium space and starts moving uranium prices. So I think you're you're, you're obviously seeing that now. Um, so it's a great place to be. Now, our company, in addition to uranium, as you know, has a strategy on rare earths. And the reason we have that strategy is, again, it's a very critical piece of the puzzle um, on electrification uh, at the most efficient levels. And it fits perfectly with our uranium story because when we're processing rare earths, we're also recovering uranium. 
and the most, the best uh, rare earth feeds uh, contain uranium and thorium, and we have the ability to handle that. And so uh, the market still values us as a uranium company, but I think we're gonna be getting uh, material value in due course as our rare earth strategy unfolds and progresses. Lastly, vanadium. Vanadium is a tricky element, um, but it is a critical element. And we have um, the only uh, conventional uh, vanadium processing uh, uh, facility in the United States. And we still have a number of uranium vanadium mines um, that uh, can produce material quantities of vanadium in the United States of America. So bottom line, it's an exciting time on everything we do. And we either currently have or will have the ability to commercially recover approximately 10 critical elements on the list of 50. So that is, again, an, a substantial differentiator. Absolutely, it is. How about you just touch on uh, general operations update as far as the ongoing work at White Mesa, which you guys are actively working on a number of initiatives there, including future expansion, but just also talk about some of those initial restart projects that will come in as feed to White Mesa, operations update, and maybe that kind of one-year outlook as far as operations are concerned. Again, I'll start with uranium. With our uranium mines, um, we're actively um, at de developing our pinion plane mine. Uh, we've got about 25 people working there right now. Um, we'll be mining uranium next year there, uh, around 750,000 pounds of uranium per year. We're also restarting uh, a two or three of our mines at the LaSalle complex, and we'll mine somewhere in the order of around 250,000 pounds there for a total of about a million pounds per year uh, as the first step in restarting our uranium production. Uh, we still have um, Nichols Ranch on standby, uh, which is an ISR uh, facility, and we will fire it up in due course as these prices firm and we get more contracts. So we're going to go back into where we're, we're mining uh, about a million pounds uh, next year at our conventional mines, and we will ramp that up as we get more uranium contracts and the price of uranium goes up. So um, we can get to about 2 million pounds per year with just basically working capital. We don't need a lot of capital um, because we already have this infrastructure uh, in place. And that's a problem for people who don't. So we can get up to about 2 million pounds uh, without major capital. Now, if we want to go to three or four or 5 million pounds, we've got to start spending in a, an increments of about $100 million. So, um, but we, we, you know, we can get there uh, in, in due course. The mill, uh, we have currently total, including finished goods that are not just at the mill, but also uh, at the converter. We have about 1.2 million pounds. 800 is finished and 400,000 pounds is waiting to be processed at the mill. We are advancing what we call our phase one uh, separation capabilities at the mill, and that is well advanced. We have equipment showing up. We have tanks. We have mixture settlers showing up, and that is um, the main focus at the mill right now, and we're putting the uh, solvent extraction circuit in the existing uh, uranium vanadium solvent extraction building, so it will be the only um, uh, facility of its type in the world that I know of that can recover uranium, vanadium, and uh, the NDPR and a Sumerian Plus, which is a heavy carbonate 
uh, concentrate, uh, and that is uh, full scale ahead. Now, next week on uh, 10th and 11th, we're having a very significant open house where we're inviting people from far and wide, and we're very excited about that because of all the activity level that we have. And believe it or not, we've got Miss America coming as one of our speakers on the first day, which is quite unusual for going out to the sites, uh, but we're very excited about that. Uh, in addition to White Mesa, uh, we still secure monazite from Chamores out of Florida and Georgia. Uh, we secured a very large land position called the Bahia Project in Brazil uh, that we're currently um, do, been doing drilling on. We're not drilling this moment, but we will in the next month or two, uh, advancing that to feed the White Mesa Mill. Uh, and we're also doing engineering uh, work on what we call phase two, which will be a completely brand new um, crack and leach facility standalone from the mill. Uh, and also have separation uh, capacity in due course that could rival 75, 80% of Alinus uh, looking out a few years, four or five years, uh, given substantial quantities of monazite. So to say that there's a lot going on is an understatement. Uh, we've been hiring people and that's difficult, but we've got probably the most highly skilled uranium processing uh, group in the United States uh, over anybody that's out there, and we're very proud of that. Good help's always, always limited. Good help and just decent people, decent people to work with, technical expertise, people that aren't too greedy, Mark, as, as you and I definitely see a lot of that in this sector. So I appreciate the update on that. And also just good luck with the open house there. I appreciate uh, you sharing that, and I hope the bread breaking goes well with all the folks that are showing up there to check out the activities. And I do want to come back to a couple other things you did mention there, but before we do, why don't we just talk briefly the update on the capital structure here, just on the finance side. Give us just a quick view of shares outstanding at this point, the cash on hand, inventory, and if you don't mind, maybe some of the major shareholders. We're zero debt. We've got probably the strongest balance sheet uh, out there. Uh, we've been profitable for the last two years. We'll be profitable, we'll be profitable last year, this year. Um, and that's mainly because we've been swapping uranium, selling uranium, swapping a few properties here and there. Um, the last reporting period, uh, we reported working capital of 135 million. Um, and, and, and that's actually quite conservative because that doesn't, that values our inventory um, at uranium inventory at about $30 a pound, where now it's you know around 70. Um, it values are um, vanadium, I think it's around six some dollars a pound and vanadium's a little north of that right now. It doesn't include um, the note that we have uh, with Encore, which incidentally they paid down 20 million uh, just the last couple of weeks. They still owe us 40 million. It's a convertible note and it's actually in the money right now. Uh, it doesn't include uh, the investment we have in what is now ISO or will be ISO, uh, which is somewhere in the order of 25 to 30 million dollars us um so it's really when you add all that up andrew with our working capital uh we're well north of 200 million dollars so we don't uh have any real major shareholders or larger shareholders blackrock they have about five percent uh some of the the etfs um are um shareholders um so you know, we, we don't have any real, you know, anybody that's north of about 6% as shareholders. I think the key thing for your listeners are that one, we've been profitable. 
um, the last two years, we're, we're always navigating and because you eventually got to be profitable as a company. Um, and we're, we're proud of that. The zero debt, probably well over a billion dollars of infrastructure that's fully permitted and ready to go. You know, having the team to execute, being in the United States of America um, and having this capacity that we have, uh, I think is pretty, pretty enviable. I appreciate you sharing that off and providing that update. And, and with that, I, I want to get uh, just your view here on specifically the rare earth side for a moment, just on the processing work that's ongoing. And you mentioned it before, just slightly there, the, the phased expansion work. But, you know, you've got phase one, you've got the, the light rare earth production progress, and then you've got phase two, phase three plans in terms of, you know, future work. Just talk about what you see really on kind of timing over the next couple of years to expand there through those phases, you know, what that CapEx is expected to be to fund those expansions. It sounds like that that's going to come entirely from cash flows, Mark, but do you plan to use a little bit of torque, maybe some debt financing leverage for that work as the market heats up? Yeah, I mean, the phase one that we're doing right now, it's it's about uh, $25 million to do this this, this uh, in the existing SX building uh, that has the capacity to do up to a thousand tons of NDPR, which to put it into to scale uh, is bigger than um, Silmet or equal or bigger than Silmet uh, in Estonia. Um, uh, Linus does about 6,000 tons of NDPR um, currently. Um, so it's, 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 it's actually, it's, it's large uh, world significant but it's small compared to Linus, but for a first step, we see it as very significant, okay? So um, we've done that all out of um, a treasury because it's a small amount. You know, we'll have that going uh, early in next year. Uh, we're still securing feed for it, um, and that we hope to be telling the market on how that's building. Um, the phase two, which we, we've been done some PFS work on, uh, and we're gonna go into more detailed engineering uh, next year. And that will take it up uh, probably three, four X what phase one is, a completely separate separate uh, building, completely separate building, brand spanking new, the PFS numbers, and we don't give out really hard numbers, but estimated at somewhere in the order of uh, maybe three to 350 million, somewhere in that order for phase two. But that would be able to approach uh, say 75% of Linus processing capacity, which is quite low compared to what others are going to have to spend to build out that processing scale. And the reason it's low is because it's in Utah. We've got a very reliable workforce uh, in Utah, um, you know, compared to operating in places like Australia, where people are very expensive, power is very expensive, water is very expensive, everything's expensive in Australia. We think Utah is a great place to do business. Um, so that is um, the next step, and we're trying to secure um, material feed uh, to fill that next step. Um, and then the phase three is uh, the heavy separation. So we're going to start piling that uh, probably be early next year for heavy separation. And, and, and we don't have an exact number, but it's probably in the order of uh, $50 million for a uh, heavy separation plant in due course. So, um, so those are kind of the steps. How we finance that. In, in this new world we're in that's focused on these energy transition uh, elements, uh, that is not going to be a problem. We have no concern that we can't finance our activities, whether it be 
through some sort of a government program or through uh, some of the um, the tier ones, you know, whether it's debt, equity, or, or some other loan uh, mechanism. That's the last thing from our mind is that we're going to be able to finance this. Appreciate that. Lots of stuff happening there on the rare earth side and looking forward to seeing some of the progress on that front. Uh, with that, just the monazite sand feed. You mentioned the project before, but the Bahia project in Brazil. Just talk about any particular plans there for work. Is there anything immediately on the books to actually get some work done down at that project? Uh, well, we've got a sonic drill rig that's on the water heading that direction. We're doing uh, getting started on the initial permitting in Brazil. We've done some drilling already. Uh, we've been doing some metallurgical testing, sending it out to the various um, laboratories that particularly focus on the heavy mineral sands. And so we're going to ramp that up as quickly as we can. You know, we already have this, this small amount of monazite coming from Kimors, but we're also looking at um, other arrangements. And I've said this before, we're talking to everyone out there um, in the business that, that we know of. Uh, to supply a monazite to to white mesa and that includes uh, potential m a transactions we are looking to build a world significant rare earth processing facility in the united states in utah so we are being aggressive but not reckless um, we are going for it and again we have a very strong balance sheet to do so Mark, I want to shift over back to uranium here for a moment and just talk on a few topics surrounding uranium, get your thoughts, because obviously it's a, a long time sector that you've been involved with. And of course, you've got your opinions and experience to share with us on various topics. But just on the company front here briefly, the contract book of the company, if you can't, I know some of this will be sensitive and you may not be able to mention, but maybe talk about what years or that range you're looking to take on further contracts for deliveries what type of contracts you are seeking based on your understanding of this market and where it's headed, and of course the market conditions. And then also just the existing book on hands in terms of capacity filled out and you know what you think you have left there. If you can just share a few ideas on timing, contract book, and just your overall thoughts on how you guys would fill that out. Of course, what you can. Yeah, well, the um, current contract portfolio we have uh, consists of three contracts with two nuclear utilities in the United States. They don't want us to talk about who they are. They have floors and ceilings and a formula in between. Everything is escalated, including the floors and ceilings. Um, we uh, have already delivered uh, product into one of those, well, two of those contracts this year. And so we've started filling those. They go out uh, to 2030, so out uh, eight years and um, they kind of ramp up a bit more uh, in the later years, but there's generally, if you average them out, it, it's probably uh, 500,000 pounds or so of contracts, and we can make money on those contracts. We haven't signed anything that we can't make money on. That gets the flywheel going, particularly Pinion Plain um, and LaSalle, but we're also looking at that next rung, which is another few contracts, that are at higher prices with higher floors, higher ceilings, also on a similar mechanism where they'll float with the price uh, to an extent within the range of those, those um, the floors and the ceilings. So you're definitely seeing utilities uh, coming to the market. Um, they have more certainty now when it looks at 
uh, the, looking out to the future with the support for nuclear power, and uh, and that's good uh, because uh, you know we we need to get um, you know more product coming out of the United States and particularly our allied countries uh, in a reliable way. The other thing is that you know the the focus on all these other you know small module reactors, micro reactors. So yeah, I, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to know on on those? But we're gonna we're gonna do it in steps. Like we have you know say in the order of a half a million pounds contracted, and then we'll move up to say a million pounds per year contracted, and we'll just keep going up as the contracts um, are available and we sign them up. I think you covered it sufficiently for me. Can't speak for the audience, Mark, but it appears you guys have been very conservative in your approach here, and this is going to stair-step up as things ramp up, if you will, pretty suitable in that sense. And then also, I guess it ties into my next topic here, just on the White Mesa production. As you know, and as we've talked in the past, Mark, of course, that White Mesa has never reached a nameplate capacity for uranium production, not even close. And that's for a number of reasons, of course. But what is your goal this time in terms of reaching potential new highs on production, testing those limits of White Mesa? And then also just, you know, generally, where do you think some of that source comes from? Because a good amount of that fee is going to come from the company projects. But, you know, what's your view on that? And of course, I know it's market sensitive, but where some of this material might come from. Yeah. Well, I mean, between Nichols Ranch and White Mesa, yeah, we've got a license capacity of 10 million pounds. Okay, now you know, being able to, to get there is, is, is a big ask. But, um, you know, we, 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 we can get up to, well, next year, you know, where we are at this moment, we'll get up to about a million pounds per year. Um, we have the capacity to get up to about two million pounds per year with limited capital, which again, uh, you know, people think, oh, it's only two million. Well, the U.S. over the last 15 years got up to about five million total from, 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, um, it got up to five. So two million is a lot, okay, in the United States, at least currently. Now, if the price of uranium goes up to, you know, 90 or 100 or, you know, higher, um, we can go higher than that. But um, so so right now with White Mesa, um, we're going to get up to, you know, t 1 million pounds per year starting this coming year up to 2 million pounds, we will uh, build this this second um, rare earth processing facility, be completely independent of the mill. Um, and we will be looking for other feed from other sources. Um, we have a total milling agreement with what's now will be ISO. Um, we probably uh, will at some stage go out for a buying schedule. We probably won't do any other total milling agreements because most people will not provide enough feed to justify a toll milling agreement. Um, and in due course, we'll put out a, a toll milling agreement and we'll just keep trying to amp up that production out of White Mesa. Uh, I, uh, in the 80s, I used to feed White Mesa and we got it up to about 4 million pounds per year uh, at the White Mesa mill, which is half of its license capacity. So uh, we, we say as a company that, you know, we can get to the two quite easily, relatively quickly, and, and with limited capital, and we can go up to four, five, six million pounds per year, given the, the market supporting that, and starting to spend probably in the order of around $100 million for every million pounds you go above that. 
So the, the two million. So it's somewhere in that order. So does that give you a little flavor? It does, absolutely. Four million is a big number for the U.S. It generally, it's a drop of the pond compared to the need of the global requirements, Mark, as you know, but definitely 2 million pounds is a big number for the U.S. 4 million is just, uh, I think, job well done if it's coming out of just energy fuels. That's impressive. So yeah, it does give us a flavor here. And then just the constraints on the conventional domestic supply side has obviously got some significant issues just with, you know, too small of projects and CapEx and the various other factors. And then the bottleneck that is there on the milling side, of course, but good on you. You guys have a good setup. On another topic there, Mark, obviously with your experience here because of your past experience in the States on production, conventional, and then also conventional production in places like Namibia, for example, there's really kind of a separation about production and those who have done it, those who potentially could be new stars in the sector, Mark, and then the larger pot of those who really won't make it. You know, we're getting to that point of separating the groups of companies within the development and production segment that either produce as they have proclaimed or they come up short and the market responds accordingly. You know, we're already starting to see some of that separation now. What are your thoughts on this? You know, kind of the the fakers versus the people who can do it. <laughs> it's a very important point. If you go back to... Um, the last run-up in that 2006, 7, 8 period, um, WNA did a review. I think they they said in 2008 they looked at everybody that said what they said they were going to do. Then they looked at it. Uh, I think it's 2012 or 13, something like that. Five years later, and they added up all the the plans, and and then they they, they saw what the realities were. And it was like 9% of what people said actually made it to the market. Okay, now you did have Fukushima, um, but only 9% came. And then if they went out another year, because Cigar Lake was in that mix, it went up to like 22%. Okay, so that's a long ways from 100%, right? Yeah, you're going to see that again. Um, I'm not saying it'll be those um, low levels, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be low levels. It's not going to be 100%. It's not going to be 75%. Um, it's going to be a lot lower than that. How low? I, I don't know. But I think you are seeing some of those cracks uh, already appearing. And, and investors just have to understand that there is a risk, uh, particularly with new projects uh, or projects that have failed in the past, and they're going to try to make them work again. So, yeah, I mean, I don't wish bad on anyone, but, you know, there is substantial technical risk on all projects. Now, I think we're better ready uh, now than we were this last run up because, uh, you know, there were projects that got uh, up and running this last run up that have been on standby and they're maybe better understood. But there's also been a huge amount of eye grading of a lot of projects around the world to survive after Fukushima. I mean, it's been 12 years and a lot of the projects, including in Kazakhstan, a lot of the projects that I ran. Have high graded, okay, and so it's really going to boil down to, you know, how does the world go forward with older projects that are running out of ore, projects that have been high graded, projects that have unsolved technical risks that haven't been completely addressed or still unknown. Um, it's going to be a, a bunch of those things all working in tandem to see how this thing uh, ramps up. And frankly, uh, when I look out with some of these new demand. Uh, curves that are coming out of places like W&A, and I look out 10 years, I'm not certain exactly where all of it comes from. 
Yes, fully agree with that, Mark. We're in the same boat. We don't know where it comes from either. And I guess I would just challenge any promoter, marketer, what have you, faker, whatever you want to call it, to actually try to get some technical expertise and technical skill and actually try to make a best effort to actually try to do something real. And that means cake in a can, and that means cash flow that's actually positive and not sucked out of your GNA to zero, if not negative, and just nothing more than a paper printer. It makes a lot of sense to at least challenge some of the folks in the industry to actually get off their chair and actually try. And so I think that that's important. And as you said, given your experience, the high grading, whatever it takes to make these things work. And of course, that was during a 12-year downturn that was absolutely terrible. And of course, that's what set us up for today, of course. Very good points. And I think that's a very good piece that the audience needs to hear. Yeah, I just, just another comment. Yeah, this year is 47 years I've been in this business and, and I've done, I don't know, at least 10 projects, operating projects. None of them have failed technically, none of them. They've always achieved their design capacity and we got them up and running. Some of them were harder than others. Um, now I've had some failures just because of the price uranium dropping to $7 per pound or Fukushima or, you know, a black swan that, you know, kind of killed the, the uranium market for a number of years, but they were always able to produce what they were supposed to produce in time, you know, it took a little tweaking here and there to get them up and running. It takes a lot of finessing to get these things up and running, but uh, whatever that's worth, um, yeah, I've done a few. Okay, just a few other things here and then let's wrap up. Um, Mark, just, just cover off some of the community efforts at the company, what you're doing to gain the support of not only the local community about the importance of energy supply chains, but also specifically to help educate people in the government about the importance of domestic supply chains that are self-sufficient and healthy. Well, we're, we're doing more than we've ever done. And, and you know that on the government perspective, our company with UR Energy filed the Section 232 with the government. And a lot of that work that was done five, six years ago uh, really helped educate, start educating people in the government about our vulnerability. Um, uh, you know, going back five years ago. So, uh, you know, and I think people are getting it now when they see the dependence on Russia and that we're not sanctioning uranium from Russia or nuclear fuel products from Russia, because if we do, um, we may run out of uranium. Um, so on the government front, I think you're seeing more bipartisan support. And I think that will continue for all the right reasons. Uh, in the community, um, we, we've, we've never done more when it comes to um, our communication with the local communities. Uh, we set up a foundation. We put a million dollars into it. We're, we've committed 1% of our revenue from White Mesa uh, going forward. We're making awards left, right, and center. We've got a um, advisory board chaired by a, a Navajo veteran, which we're very proud of. Uh, Ryan Benali um, is chairing it, doing a great job. And we have a White Mesa Ute also on the advisory board. They have a website that people are putting in uh, requests for funding of worthwhile uh, projects. And we've been doing uh, assisting with STEM education on the reservation. Uh, we've been doing work on the uh, heat system for the Dinosaur Museum, scholarships, the football team, uh, helping some of the local chapter houses with various projects they have. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been incredible and, uh, it's starting to pay off with those efforts 
and we're starting to get some real traction around all our sites on all the great things that we're doing as a company. Congratulations on those items, Mark. Appreciate the efforts there. And I know that's really important in the community in that area. This is a substantial contribution by Energy Fuels to the community in that area and the work you guys are doing, as well as helping the bureaucrats understand how these markets work. And I think that's absolutely really critical in this day and age. Thank you for that. Uh, Mark, just on a personal note, what are your goals as far as what you'd like to finish up for this company? And also, how long do you plan to stick around? Because you and I, we're both getting older, you know, in your leadership role, which is fantastic. What's the plan kind of for Mark and how do you see this going forward? Well, I am getting older, but I've never had so much fun. I'm still working with the board on a sort of a longer term relationship that goes for a number of years uh, with the company. Um, my goal is to um, to get this critical uh, mineral hub going uh, to where it can't be stopped, um, to where the combination of you know these these ten or so elements that I'm I'm talking about of the fifty um, are being produced you know profitably and at material scale uh, in in making it again world material. And I think we're going to get there, and that's something that I'm committed to continuing full time for a number of years to get there. Because it's it's not just the job I do; it's it's a passion that I have, and really it's just something I want to get done because I think it's just a remarkable opportunity, and it's a lot of fun, a lot of work. So I wanted to get to where uh, you know we've got a number more of these dots connected, and people can see that it is happening, and there's no stopping it. Mark, appreciate that. Last question, bit of a fun one. Should we make investments into companies like Energy Fuels solely based on the ESG score shown within our broker account on our mobile phones? <laughs> no, no. I mean, <laughs> make an investment because you believe that the company is going to continue to generate value. And in our case, make your investment knowing that we are focused on energy transition and there's only so much product to invest in um that and, and and the fundamentals we're gonna tr it's it's my goal to grow this into a multi-billion dollar company um that again as i said is world material uh, but at the same time when you look at uh, esg scores i i frankly we're on the ground just doing stuff right now and we're doing the right thing we're doing the right thing at all our sites when it comes to esg uh and particularly with things like the foundation so Invest because you believe that that's the future. Growth is is there and compelling on the companies, not necessarily with their ESG score. But listen to what they're saying, because you can't be in this market now as a public company and not be focused on ESG. Good and sensible business practice. And that's something that uh, any decent person would do. Well, Mark, look, thanks for the time. Let's leave it there for now. And for potential investors who are listening in, Energy Fuels has a market capitalization of about 1.3 billion US dollars. Why should investors consider the company at this stage? Well, because my objective is to grow it to a multi-billion dollar company that again is world significant. I think we're valued as a uranium company um, and we're not valued as a rare earth company. And if we can show that we're chasing after the company, the likes of the Linuses, the MPs, even the Alucas to a certain extent, that's where a lot of additional value creation is going to come when people realize we are going to make it. Mark, a best way for folks to reach out to the company? 
people can reach out to me directly. Um, Curtis Moore handles a lot of the people that reach out. So either myself or Curtis. And so, you know, you can send um, an email to me or you can contact Curtis. Usually he's got his contact details on our press releases or just send an email to, I think it's uh, what, info at energyfuels.com. Uh, We're always open to talk to people. People that are interested in our story, we'll talk to them. Mark, always a pleasure. Thank you for the updates. Keep up the progress and let's chat again soon. Okay, my pleasure.